Welcome back to College Football Pros once again. It's Nick and Drew here to talk to you about college football. And what better place to start than our reactions from the 2014 season. So, Drew, why don't you take some time today to tell me about some of the biggest surprises you found from the 2014 season? You know, I think starting out 2014, the biggest surprise for me looking back you know, was the state of Mississippi, uh, not just the University of Mississippi, Mississippi and Mississippi State. You know, Ole Miss was ranked 18 in the preseason AP. Uh, they came in with a shaky quarterback in Bo Wallace. They they just weren't the Mississippi of old, of our grandfather's Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mississippi State received little votes. They received two, I believe, was the AP, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, nobody thought these teams would be uh, anything at the end of the season. And uh, there was a stretch in October. They went, they beat three top 10 teams uh, in consecutive weeks in October. And I know you remember that because we were talking about Dax Prescott, you know, in a daily fantasy and doing all that stuff. They, uh, let me see, they beat LSU at LSU. They were they beat number eight Texas A&M at home, and they beat number two Auburn at home. Uh, Dax Prescott towards the end of the year had some serious Heisman buzz, and I know me and you conversed on that. You know, did he deserve it? Did he not deserve it? You know what? <laughs> you know the they fell apart at the end. Uh, both teams did. You know, the Egg Bowl was supposed to be the college football playoff catalyst for one of the teams. Instead, it turned out to be just a normal game. Uh, What about you, Nick? What is your top surprise of last year? Well, ultimately, I think it has to be Ohio State, and it has to be two portions of Ohio State. The first has to be the loss to Virginia Tech. I mean, look, you know, they were in a difficult position coming into the season because they lost Braxton Miller. Uh, You could tell in the first game that – JT Barrett just didn't have it together. and But you, you still kind of felt like, well, I mean, Ohio State is better than Virginia Tech. You know, it's not like this is a uh, – it's not like they were teams that everybody thought were on even playing ground. So with that being said, I think it was a huge, huge shock when they went down. And I think at that point, collectively – Everybody just put their head down and said, "That's it. Uh, that that's it for Ohio State. There's yeah. there's no way that they're going to come back from that." And I think they had dropped from five to twenty two, twenty one, something like that. Yeah. From from week two to week three, but the other surprise was they they're gritty, and they just didn't give up. And as the season went along, J T. Barrett went from a shaky quarterback to a very exciting quarterback to watch. And you can't just shoulder Barrett with it. I mean, Elliott wasn't performing like everybody thought. Did he play in that game? In the Virginia Tech game? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I do believe so. Okay. I I don't know if anybody actually technically played, if you want to get realistic in that. I don't know. I I don't have a rim shot um, thing to hit when that happens. I don't have any editable format yeah. to to put that rim shot in there but that was a joke to our listeners if anyone caught that i did uh <laughs> drew was really sly with that one Da-dunch. but yeah honestly they uh they 
improved quite a bit. I don't really think that I thought that they were one of the top teams in the country still, but week in and week out, uh, they had some close calls. I think they probably wish the games against Penn State and Minnesota went a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, when it counted, Ohio State, you know, turned it on, turned it up, and at the end of the season, they were hoisting the championship trophy, and that's really all that matters. Yeah, and if you look back on that too as Ohio State, nobody, you know, kind of what you said about nobody believed that they could get back to the top. I mean, kind of piggybacking off what my top surprise was, you know, that the state of Mississippi and the SEC in general, nobody thought that the SEC would beat each other up as they as they turned out to be. But, you know, they 35-21 was that Virginia Tech game against Ohio State. And at that time, it, like just exactly what you said, nobody believed or even bought into the fact that, oh, yeah, they could go on and win the whole thing. Not a chance in the world. Yeah, and I, I totally agree, but they did. Uh, there is some contention about that playoff tournament, and we will definitely talk probably in, in, in about 15 or 20 minutes about that. But there was one team uh, on the outside looking in who thought that they had a compelling argument to be in that Drew, and I think you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. You look at TCU, and uh, they had the probably the second biggest gripe of the whole college football playoff. But, you know, TCU coming into the season was picked seventh in the Big 12. Seventh. I mean, who would have thought at the end of the season we're sitting here talking TCU is one of the best teams when they weren't even picked in the top five of their own conference. Uh they they went on to dominate one of my other surprise teams in the Peach Bowl, and that was Ole Miss. You know, they handled them pretty good at the end of the season with Trayvon Boykin and that whole team just really gelling well. You know, Gary Patterson just doing an outstanding job coaching. You know, they there there was no chance that team should have been where they were at the end of the season coming off of 2013. But, you know what, at the end of the day, they had a chance. And had they ran the table, they would have been there. And Ohio State would have been on the outside looking in. Do you agree? I don't think so. Um, man, it's tough. It's tough to say that an undefeated team would have been on the outside looking in. Yeah. And I guess to some yeah. extent the precedent was set with Florida State. But at the same time, you're talking about a conference that does not have a championship game. And let's face it, at the end of the day, it was the championship game yep. victory over Wisconsin that put Ohio State there. Now I noticed when you were saying they were they had the number two biggest gripe. Who had the biggest gripe in your opinion? Ah, uh, Baylor. Why do you think that? <laughs> I mean, Baylor um, head to head matchups. Does that how much does that honestly matter? I know I might sound dumb saying how much does it matter that one team beat another team, right. but from the perspective I'm coming from, the Baylor win was at home, the TCU loss was on the road. TCU lost to a better team than Baylor did in West Virginia, and I believe that the West Virginia loss was in Baylor. I could be wrong, but I think Baylor lost at home. So, yeah, I do believe you're right there. I, that's just my take on it. Look, I think that it's valid to say that Baylor had a much bigger um, – they could take much bigger issue with the voting committee. But at the end of the day, TCU had been ranked like number three yeah. pre prior to the championship game. So well, if, I think that's more of a uh, an attribute to the college football joke 
of a, a selection committee than it is to their on the field game. And I'm just looking at this game with uh, Baylor and West Virginia. The game was at West Virginia and they lost 41 to 27. Right. So that's much worse than the Baylor loss or the TCU loss to Baylor, but it, it's still, Correct. It, it is still both on the road. It, it, you know, really it's probably a toss up. I, I guess my whole thing was uh, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, TCU was number three leading into the championship week. After the championship yeah. week, TCU was ranked below Baylor. Yeah, because what, of the head-to-head. What, because is, they, what sense does that make? They had the head-to-head prior yeah. to that, so why wasn't Baylor through? That's my biggest thing. Like, So a team is number three, they don't play that week, and then they get bumped down below a team that also didn't play that week like there has to be some kind of common sense that ends up settling in these things uh but we have time to talk about that a little bit later yeah my final biggest surprise of 2014 was the ridiculous two-week span for running backs and it was three running backs specifically and that was leon allen from Western Kentucky with 345 yards. Yeah. Melvin Gordon with 408. Now, mind you, that happened in the same day. And those guys were both in my cash game lineup. So between those two guys, I had something like 112, 120 points. Yeah. Uh, and then ultimately, the week after that was the Super Hail Mary, and that's when Samaje P. Ryan went for 427. That is, I mean, <laughs> that's. 1300 yards pretty much or that's that's a little over 1200 yards rather that's that's a pretty impressive performance uh yeah, by three running up, backs they were putting up video game numbers <laughs> it was and that's what makes college football so exciting to watch because it could happen almost every week and especially with schools like Wisconsin that you know their focus is running it it's it Corey Clement could have a three hundred and fifty yard game this year and probably will. Yeah, and I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Corey Clement here coming up in our later on discussions, but yeah, they if they can get their offensive line figured out and if they could get some guys to come in and be starters immediately, he's Eisman contender. Absolutely. So we talked about our biggest uh surprises. What were some of your biggest disappointments? I, I have one. And and I think for me, this is every single year I say this team is a sleeper team, but last year was a, just a huge failure. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, Bob Stoops, you know, with moniker big name Bob, you know, when he, when he won some ch- championships a couple years ago, winning big games every single year. Man, I mean, they went 11 and 2 and 13. To finish 8 and 4 in 2014, uh, and that's just not that's not Oklahoma football. It's not Bobby Stoops football. They beat Alabama in a 2013 Sugar Bowl pretty handily, and that was when Nick Saban said our kids weren't motivated. We'll get to that later. Uh, they 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 just could not put it together. People want to talk about injuries. People want to talk about kids not performing to their level. That falls back to Bob Stoops. I mean, Bobby's got to get his team and his coaching staff on the same page because they they definitely were not. Uh, they they never. This is an interesting stat that I read the other day. They had never lost back to back home games under Bob Stoops until last year, and that is a a, a testament to the decline of that team. Uh, you can't go 
from 11 wins to eight wins and expect to keep your job, you know, consistently on a consistent basis. So for me, Oklahoma is where it starts and stops. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's not for lack of talent on that team no. either. And, and I think that's the, the most troubling part is we just got finished talking about Samaj P. Ryan breaking the record, and mm. then you watch them subsequent to that and in the bowl game just get completely stuffed. I mean, it was mm. bad, just, just bad. Uh, they, they weren't even good losses. They lost uh, 37-33 at TCU. They lost thirty-one to thirty to K State. They lost forty-eight to fourteen to Baylor, and they lost thirty-eight thirty-five in overtime to Oklahoma State. You, yeah, you can't as as an Oklahoma team, or you have that recruiting hotbed of Oklahoma. You have the recruiting hotbed of Texas. I understand Oklahoma high school football isn't what it used to be, but you cannot lose to your in-state rival. I don't care if it was an overtime, it was a close game. Close games don't mean anything when it comes to your big-time boosters and your big-time fans. No, I totally agree. you got to win those games. And, uh, you know, all they can do is hope that they're uh, another year in and their quarterback situation levels better and P. Ryan can even – I'm sure they'd be happy if he can even repeat, but – yeah. I think most people are looking for him to perform even better and then having Sterling Shepard – uh, is definitely going to open up many more options for the run game. One thing I wanted to talk about uh, is something you just mentioned, and that's when a lot of people start to point to injuries. Uh-huh. I hate that. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like Injuries happen in sports. I think you just have to grasp that. You just have to get that under control and yeah. realize that when people get injured, people get injured. And you look at teams like Baylor – Ohio State, Alabama, uh, even Florida State to an extent. And a lot yeah. of these bigger schools, if you've recruited well, it's next man up. That's why it's, a lot of these, these programs don't fall off when they lose their their marquee name, for lack of better terms. That's why Art Bryles can go from RG3 to Nick Florence to Bryce Petty to Seth Russell and there not be any real – loss and productivity and it, it and it's not even yes the QB numbers might go down but then the running back numbers go up so there's there's yeah. some type of a substitute that takes place i think when you have something like that take place and shepherd gets injured and the productivity falls off a cliff maybe you didn't do the best job you could have done recruiting. Now, this is uh, coming from somebody who has never actively recruited for college football, but it just kind of makes sense. Yeah, and and especially in a state and in in the Midwest, like where Oklahoma is, and the name, you walk into a recruit's home, if you say you're the head coach of Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State, you name the big money schools, you walk in the recruit's home, if you live in Oklahoma, you should want to go to Oklahoma. The The Sooners should be your team it, from back in the 70s and 80s with Switzer and those guys to Bob Stoops and today's team. That's just not happening anymore, Bob Stoops. And and I think there, a good example of that is, is Ohio State, as we talked about before. You know, two quarterbacks go down, and they still find a way to win national championship because, like you said, Ezekiel Elliott stepped up in those last couple games, especially in the last three against Wisconsin, Alabama, and Oregon. And he pretty much carried that team. 
and, and I think that's exactly what you're saying where, you know, it should be next man up. But in a school like Oklahoma for the past couple of years, it hasn't been next man up. It's been next man up, but the drop off is so drastic. It, it's over. You can't overcome it. Right. And I think a lot of that goes to how you're recruiting your players. So a lot of the schools we mentioned will look for players that fit their scheme. And, you know? and that's, and that's an interesting, and I actually wanted to bring this up. I know we're kind of skewing off real fast, but just real fast, what, at what point does it go from, oh, it's next man up, as in Baylor's situation with Petty, with Russell, with RG3, for all these guys, and what does it become? It's just about – it's not the player, it's the system. You know, you oh, look at Hawaii or Utah or – you know what I mean? Like where does it become just the system quarterbacks? Yeah, I think that occurs a lot. I mean, I think Baylor is the perfect prototype for that mentality. Like, you could substitute those four guys and get a similar level of production. You know, I was not too familiar with Florence, but I do believe they were all, even though he didn't show it last year, Petty was still okay running the ball in previous years. Seth Russell should be a little bit of an upgrade over what we saw from Petty last year. So, I mean, I think ultimately that's really where it comes from is you go recruit, you find guys who really do match what you're trying to do, who have the skill set that fit what you're trying to do. It's It's not like doing a fantasy football draft where you don't have to care if Andrew Luck and Demarius Thomas are going to work well together on your fantasy team. It's irrelevant. Right. You just need them to be good at what they do. If you're if you're trying to build a college football program like a fantasy football team, there's problems. And I don't think anyone's doing that deliberately. I'm yeah. just saying that maybe maybe they're taking the best player available when they should be taking the best player available for their system. I completely agree with that. So I have five disappointments, okay. and I'll talk about them. Number one was UAB uh, closing and then opening again yeah. next year. I just think that was a fun little program to watch. I don't think it was anything over the top, but also there was no need to uh, to, to shut that down. And ultimately I think – uh, when the financial details came out that it really wasn't a money pit and it was just a stupid decision by administration. Yeah. My question is, do you know, are they coming back to 1A? Uh, that, yeah, I mean, as far as everything that I've read, because yeah, they're Charlotte coming back. Right, now, they're so, moving up. But, right. you know, my question with UAB, and I completely agree with that, it was a complete oversight and everything with that university, but I feel bad not only for the players that are there and that are still there and that kept with the school, but I feel bad for the players that left. I mean, cause they, they were fully, fully entrenched in that university. They gave everything to that school. And then on Monday, Oh, Hey, we're closing the program. You know, you guys are free to go wherever you want. A lot of kids transferred. Uh, yeah. I know, I know a lot of kids stayed together. Like cores of kids just went to specific schools. I feel bad for those kids because they loved UAB They loved UAB growing up. Maybe they didn't love it. You know, they didn't bleed, uh, you know, blazer colors, but they loved the school. So that's who I really feel bad for is the kids that left and now can't come back. You know who I don't feel bad for because I think he's in a tremendous position this year is Jordan Howard. Absolutely. 
I mean, he's going to re- walk into Indiana, replace Tevin Campbell. Te- Tevin, Tevin Campbell was a 90s R&B singer. I apologize. That's, that's an interesting name Te- drop. Tevin, Tevin Coleman, and I really think that he's going to – I think. I mean, I have no way to know this yeah. right now, and we're at least a month away before some of these fantasy sites start to put – they're pricing up, but I have a feeling he's going to be moderately underpriced because of the fact that he uh, he came from a school like UAB. Yeah, he's going to step into Indiana right away and make a major impact. I know they had three or four kids uh, make their way up there from UAB, and you know that's huge for Indiana. You know, we'll get to that when we talk about the Big Ten, but. You know, to get three to four to five players, whoever they get at the end of the day, you know, those guys have chemistry already. They're not coming in from different high schools. You know, they know each other. They're friends. Hey, let's go play together. And I think, you know, a lot of teams really benefited from this. But UAB, that university, their fan base, man, I feel bad for them. Absolutely. Uh, You talked about how the Mississippis just totally faltered and fell apart by the end of the year. Let's talk about another team that did the same, Notre Dame. (laughs) They... I don't. I don't think it was necessarily as bad because they had still won some games at the end of the year. They were closer than they should have been. Uh, but ultimately, we have this whole fiasco with Everett Golson eventually getting put on the bench. Then he's not starting the bowl game, and Malik Zaire looked good. And now we have him starting for Notre Dame, and Golson is in f- at Florida State. But I, I think when you go back, if you were to if you were to go back right now and go back to that Florida State-Notre Dame game. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. I don't think you would have imagined Notre Dame ending up the way they did. No, and and I'm looking at their schedule from last year right now, and let me just run down a couple things real fast to stand out to me. Obviously, you start out in October with Florida State. You know, Before that, they beat who everybody they should have beat, and there was no games there. But starting with that Florida State game, losing 31-27, and the way they lost – and I think the schedule makers at Notre Dame and around the country just unknowingly did them a huge disservice in having a bye week the next week. So not only do you lose to Florida State in literally heartbreaking fashion, but you have over a week to dwell on that and to watch the tape of what could have been, what could have been. And then you – oh after the bye week you get to come back and play navy who are just gonna pound you at the line of scrimmage all day you beat navy by 10 you get embarrassed by arizona state the next week at arizona state you lose 55 31 you lose to northwestern at home 40 43 40 in overtime you get embarrassed by louisville you get embarrassed by usc and then somehow you go and beat lsu in the bowl game 31 28 that team didn't make any sense to me now, the one interesting thing that you mentioned, though, is if you look at Notre Dame's schedule, no one is ever going to tell you that they play a soft schedule. They well, play some. They play some games. All right. Well, let's 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 run down it. Let's let's run down last year, and then we'll run down this year just real quick. Okay, they opened up with Rice. That's a that's a powder puff game. Right. Honestly, no no disrespect to Rice, but that's an easy W. Michigan, they're they're an embarrassing franchise right now, or an embarrassing program right now. But that's a rivalry uh, game. Okay, I'll give it to you. Uh, Purdue. Okay. Next. <laughs> uh, the Syracuse. Okay. Stanford. I mean, Andrew Luck's not there anymore, right? Uh, I don't think so. 
<laughs> North Carolina. I mean, and that game was 50 to 43. And if you remember that game, North Carolina was up in that game for the majority of it. Notre Dame came back in that game. Well, that's not difficult to do. Uh, no. North Carolina has a horrible defense that we, we, a normal yeah. little league team could potentially run amok on. I'm not really trying to like isolate the teams they played. I'm just saying, like, when you look at their schedule, you don't see, you know, uh, Duquesne, uh, Wofford. You don't see these yeah. teams that every other team plays and they're bouncing around conferences and i think each conference does kind of have like a certain thing about it like you know big 10 teams they're gonna run the ball the the west coast teams they like to chuck the ball well you're jumping around you know what i mean you're changing genres left and right and it puts you as a football program at such a disadvantage because you're not like one game after another, after another, after another, looking at the same thing. So I I really, that's one thing I enjoy about Notre Dame and the fact that they're an independent is the fact that they kind of bounce around everywhere. We've got plenty of time in the next few episodes to talk about Notre Dame. Two other people that I would say that I was disappointed in were Kenny Hill and Marquise Williams. I think when the year started out and Kenny Hill had that performance, I expected him to at least stay relevant and not not be the quarterback by the end of the year and Marquise Williams going into the year last year I mean week one I I mean he was my guy you know I I knew that he was the the quarterback I was putting into my lineup and as a whole I don't think he was a bad traditional fantasy college football quarterback but on a week-to-week basis no I don't think he was a great play Every yeah. week, there were some weeks he really, really put up some stinkers. So I was disappointed in both of those players. Do you have any opinion on either one of them? Yeah, I, I, I could just. I this is the one time I completely agree with you. They, they just, they fell short on so many levels. That team fell short on so many levels. It was it the Johnny Manziel hangover. Hey, I got to interrupt. So you agreed with me one time. Is there a I, point? Is there a point in continuing on in this podcast? Or I think we, we should like, end it. We should just end it. Call it a day, point? man. It took us 26 minutes to agree on something. I don't <laughs> yeah. know whether that's good or bad. That's it's probably not a good thing. We should probably, I should probably just make something up right now. Yeah, I, I think for me, Marquise Williams is definitely a guy I'm looking to have a bounce back year this year. Uh, you know, two years ago, he, he was an absolute stud as, a, as yeah. a freshman. He just came out of nowhere and really took control of that program and – really had some exciting performances. My final disappointment, and this is just a personal thing. You've already heard me talk about the school one time, uh, and that was Marshall losing to Western Kentucky. I mean, there was 15 passing touchdowns in that game. 15. And Marshall at that point was 12-0. and And I, I just wanted somebody else to finish undefeated so that, you know, they're – Ultimately, they were not going to be part of the the playoff conversation. They played literally the weakest schedule in the entire country. But just to see what they would do with Marshall and to give Marshall an opportunity maybe to take Boise State's place in one of the New Year's Six Bulls. Yeah. And it didn't happen, but it was a hell of a game, man. That was I remember that watching that game and it was just non-stop excitement and, and that's what I love about the conference USA and 
I, I really am looking for I, I'm I'm curious to see how that Marshall program rebounds because their leading passer and receiver of all time are now gone. Yeah. Uh but yeah, so now let's talk about some of our favorite moments. What what were some of your favorite moments from last year? For me, my favorite moment was that Baylor comeback at home versus TCU. This game had every emotional up and down you could possibly have. You know, 21 points in the last 1138. Uh, how does that happen? That shouldn't happen. They scored at the 10-minute mark, the 6-minute mark, the 4-minute mark, and obviously the game-winning field goal. But that's that's I, I'm going to use this uh, this analogy a lot, but that's a video game type numbers. You know they okay. By the way, to to win on a field goal on a game like that to win by a field goal is is actually kind of ironic to me and kind of funny. But uh, interesting stat, real fast. Baylor is the first team to come back from a 21-plus point deficit and blow a 21-point deficit uh, in the modern era, which is... In the, actually, in the same game? It, no, no in, the same, in the same season, because they blew the lead versus Michigan State in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, you remember that. That was, that. that was real bad. But uh, I was just interested to that that I read on the, uh, the old Google machine. But, yeah, for me, that game was just so much fun to watch. And as a guy that I really didn't have any... Uh, dogs in the fight at that time because for me at that point you know my daily fantasy was uh my bankroll wasn't uh wasn't up to par at that point so i had taken that week off and uh, i kind of regret it because i probably would have stacked both of these lineups but uh you know i know for you you i remember talking to you during it and you you were pretty happy about that yeah if i remember correctly i know that i had mostly tcu shares yeah. because i I was actually a buyer on the TCU defense. I did not think it was going to be a situation where Baylor was going to score like 14 points. But I thought late 20s was where the game would end at. Uh, (laughs) It truly was a a, a tremendous game. I, in fact, just watched it again a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Just really a fun football game to watch. And uh, it's going to be great to see that again this year. Um, you know what my favorite moment was? I'd love to hear it. Well, I mean, as you'll you'll start to see themes forming as a season starts. That you know, typically when we do our first podcast after the weekend, you're going to either see us extremely happy or extremely yeah. extremely grump faced. One of the two. And uh, if you would have interviewed me the week of Thanksgiving, I would have been grinning ear to ear because that was the weekend of the Super Hail Mary which coincided with two things taking place. That number one would be Samaj P. Ryan being an absolutely mo- absolute monster. And the second one was Jalen Marshall and his yeah. four-touchdown performance. Uh, that was a big help to me. So I had two guys that scored a combined, like, ten touchdowns, plus Luke Falk. And uh, I think I finished that lineup with uh, Vince Millay who's now with the Cleveland Browns. And, yeah, that just made for one heck of a weekend for me. So that that was – and it, it kind of made it funny because in our intro podcast, you mentioned your dad was a college football fan. Yeah. And uh, I just assumed my dad hated everything <laughs> based on the conversations I had with him. And I found out early last year that he was a big college football fan. 
And so my dad, we had just moved into the house that we built. That was our first weekend in the house. And my dad was over helping me put together my washer and dryer because I'm, I'm useless for most things. You'll find out that I'm literally useless for most things. And so he stayed and watched the games with me, and it was kind of fun, him sitting next to me, and I'm constantly showing him my computer, like, look, look how much I'm winning. <laughs> so that was, a, that was really a fun... And that's a great feeling when you when you see the totals go up and you're like ah this is this is the greatest day ever. It was it really was my other my other favorites were uh, watching Boise State. Yeah, I mean I, I just really became a big fan of that program. They were another team like Northern Illinois and Marshall that kind of brought me in because I really started looking at college football when Boise State was having its undefeated runs with Doug Martin and Kellen Moore and. Pettis and Titus Young and those guys, and, yeah. and they they kind of made me look at it. So I really liked watching those late night West Coast games, and then during the week with Maction, as we'll refer to it as, because it sounds awesome to say yeah, it like that. I'm 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 cannot be more excited to talk Maction here in a couple weeks. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Do you have any other favorite moments? I have. I've got one that really stood out to me, and I I remember watching this game. That was Cal and Washington. Now, off the top, you're like, oh, Cal and Washington, yay. The final score was 60-59. to 59. Cal, mm. Cal pulls it off. Uh, Connor Holliday, who is you're the You're talking about Washington, Washington State. Washington State, I apologize. Yeah, I, I was saying to there. myself, I don't think anybody could have scored 59 yeah. points. When Washington certainly did. That's, that's, that's my fault here. State, definitely. We'll, we'll give credit to Washington State, so I apologize. Uh, Connor Holliday threw for 734 yards, six touchdowns, and he lost. Helped mm. the kid out a little bit, defense. Do anything to stop anybody. He threw the ball. 70 times he went 49 for 70 for 734 are you kidding me by the way zero interceptions huge kudos to that because if i threw the ball 70 times i'm getting picked off minimum 69 times minimum uh on the other side jared goff threw for 527 and six tds for cal so on any given day that's a great that's a great day but you look on the other side of the stat sheet and you go oh washington state passed in had 734 oh okay at the end of the day all that matters is the w but uh, that for me was a huge moment. Be uh, it, just for the sheer fact that I, I remember watching that game and I'm going, "This is a back and forth game." Literally, every drive ended in points. And we talked about this before, and we're going to continue to talk about it. This is why college football is so much more fun. I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I don't remember a game in the '60s in the NFL for years. No, and I'm going to throw another one at you: forty-two, forty-two. San Diego State, Fresno State. Oh my Derek gosh! Yeah, Carr, David fails. Yeah, I, I that was at halftime. I remember eating. I remember watching the first quarter of the game, going to dinner with my girlfriend, and looking at the score, thinking it was into like the third quarter, and it yep. being halftime. And I was just like, "You're kidding me!" This is and and being able to get back home in time to watch the entire second half. Yeah, I mean, and I actually had fails in that game, which was awesome for me. Yeah, I think I had – I do think I had fails. I think I had Devontae Adams. Uh, who else would have been playing for – I had, had one, one of the receivers from the other teams. Was Harper, Josh Harper on that yeah, team? Yeah, I was going to say San, it was San Jose State, correct? I can't, I can't think of who yeah, was on that, that was San, team. 
Yeah, but I had one of the receivers. I know that for sure. Yeah. Anyway, absolutely, absolutely great thing about college football. My final favorite moment was TCU's donk stomp of Ole Miss in the bowl game. Yeah. I mean, okay, you don't want to put us in the in the playoff situation. That's fine. We're going to just roll over this very good football team. Now, speaking of the playoff system, do you think they got it right? I absolutely completely agree they got it right. They uh, People want to talk about the four-team playoff. Was it enough? Was it not enough? And we'll get to that in a second. But the, the four teams that got in absolutely deserved it. They were the four best teams in college football. Uh, you look at five, six, and seven with Baylor, TCU, and Mississippi State. Not one of those teams at the end of the season deserve to be above a one-loss Alabama, a one-loss Oregon, an undefeated Florida State, or a one-loss Ohio State. And and that's one thing that I, I love about the college football playoff is the controversy, and I love controversy, and I love parody and chaos and every other adjective you want to call it. But in this situation, they absolutely 100% got it right. Yeah, I think emotionally at first I was a little bit upset because I just didn't understand how a team like TCU could be third and then be sixth. Yeah. So that that was a major irritant to me. I can't I can't lie. I, I was not happy with that. But when it all settled down, I mean look, we talked prior to this, those four teams were four of the five teams mm-hmm. at the beginning of the season. They were ranked one, two, three, and five with Oklahoma. Yeah who yep. was a dumpster fire by Oklahoma terms, being the only other team that was in there. Uh, absolutely, I think Ohio State, Oregon, and Alabama deserved it. Did I, yeah. did I, did I miss somebody? Because I don't think Florida State deserved it. However, An undefeated how, ACC team. Uh, interesting. However, you're not going to not put an undefeated yeah. team who, ironically enough, had just won the previous national championship yeah whose quarterback had just won the Heisman Trophy the year before, you're not going to not put them there. Now, you can argue that Florida State may have been better than they actually appeared to be. Maybe Jameis was, you know, doing something a little fishy with those first half lines. There's been a lot of uh, buzz that maybe he was not beyond reproach and maybe he was doing some things that were considerably unethical. But... Ultimately, you can't you can't take a, a team like Florida State and not put them in. And I'm going to go a step further. I still believe a one-loss Florida State team would have still made it. That's interesting. Depending on where they would have lost, had they lost in week five, week six, I, I think you still, and had they run the table the way they did, I think you put them up there. But obviously, if you lose late in college, you can't get back up. Uh, but I, I think one more interesting stat to verify that the four teams are got it right. The Sugar Bowl between Ohio State and Alabama was the number one ranked show in cable TV history. Take a wild guess at what number two in history was. The other one. The absolutely the other one with Oregon and Florida State is the number two ranked program in college or in cable TV programming. So uh, people are going to watch, and I, I think it, uh, it it's an interesting concept moving forward. With should they expand? Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. But as of the top four teams, the TV, the revenue, the money, they they absolutely got it right. So you said a, a few words there that I think are important. Look, I view the championship committee or the playoff committee, whatever they're called, I view them like the CEOs 
yeah. of college football. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they need to make the decisions that are best for the sport like a, a CEO should do for uh, their their organization. And those teams have the best names. I don't think that Ohio State Baylor would have been watched like Ohio State Alabama. I don't think Oregon TCU would have been watched like Oregon Florida State. You see where I'm going with that? Yeah, and and to to piggyback off that, if we were still in the BCS era, Florida State Alabama would have been the title game. And I'm not going to ask you if you would have watched it because I feel like we all would have watched it. But would there have been more controversy if Florida State and Alabama were the top two teams with Oregon and Ohio State on the outside looking in, would you have had a gripe with Florida State and Alabama playing for it all? Would, would, would that have been okay with you? Knowing what you know now? No. Honestly, the, the best way I'm going to put this is this. Last year in terms, and this is not counting the championship games, but in the regular season... I watched one Florida State and Alabama game. Right. And it was against Notre Dame. So for those two schools, I literally watched one game. So no, my interest wasn't there. I watched several Ohio State games. I watched several Oregon games. Uh, I thought Alabama was going to beat Ohio State, but I still didn't feel like Alabama was like this great Alabama team. Yeah. By no think, stretch of the imagination did I think Florida State was a championship caliber football team. Yeah, and I could not agree more, but to you, you had an interesting quote there. How did Ohio State win it all? How, what was, in your mind, how did they do it? Easy. I think, number one, if you played each of those games 100 times, they'd lose 65 to 70 times doesn't matter. You play the game one time. Number two, this is what it comes down to. Injuries take effect. I just said, you can't blame it on injuries. It needs to be the next man up. If somebody gets hurt, you need to have another guy in there who could do close to or as much as the guy before him did. Ultimately, do you know what Ohio State had going for them? Look, when Oregon lost, their loss was not criticized to the extent of Ohio State. When Alabama Loss. Their loss was not criticized to the point of Ohio State. When Ohio State lost to Virginia Tech, it was a big deal. Uh-huh. It was like, you're under the microscope. So they had an entire year, basically, where they had a chip that just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And nobody was doing them any favors because everybody was constantly saying they won't be able to do it. They can't do it. I was one of them. I don't believe that they were the better team. I was saying I don't think they can do it. I don't think they've they've got the caliber of talent to beat uh, a team like Alabama, you know, who could just have their linemen on both sides of the ball play one snap, sit down and just keep running five different guys out. That's tough. That's tough to deal with when you got fresh players cuz you're so deep. I didn't think they could beat Oregon because I thought Oregon just played it a completely different. And and if you really want to if you really want to play the fairness game, Oregon dealt with a lot of crap. 
at the end of the year too with the receivers getting hurt and doing yeah. stupid stuff and getting yeah. suspended. But at the same time, Ohio State wanted it. You look at LeBron James when they when the Cavs beat the Warriors in the two games they beat them in, the Cavs wanted it more. The second the Cavs thought maybe they got this, done deal. It, they they cooked themselves. You know, but Ohio State they wanted it and that drive and that determination and that that chip just weighing on their shoulders just just pushed them to the point where they had no choice but to win. Yeah, and, and I could not agree more. And at the end of the day it comes down to talent. And they had a guy on their team by the name of Ezekiel Elliott that wanted it more than anybody else in the field. He put up two forty six against Oregon. That is a hundred and fourteen more than the whole team. The whole Oregon team as a whole, he put up 230 against Alabama, which is a Sugar Bowl record, by the way. Uh, but can can we say that the loss on Ohio State was more a loss for the Big Ten uh, as as much it was for Ohio State? You know, the media, when they started criticizing Ohio State, they were criticizing the Big Ten because the media has a scheme and a hierarchy of conferences, and the Big Ten isn't in the top three i i i don't think the uh, the big 10 top to bottom and the mainstream media's mind is in a top three you look at the sec alabama loses oh that's okay they they can go play four more top 10 teams and get that ranking back up which i don't think is right i think the sec is completely overrated uh i'll i'll go on record to say it right now the sec is overrated they alabama your bell cow your team of teams the unbeatable alabama they got destroyed against Ohio State. And I'm not talking score. I'm not talking, you know, whatever. I'm talking physicality. I'm talking toughness. Who wanted it more? Ohio State 100% wanted it more. And they beat them on the field. And then they beat them on the field by beating them down. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. That, that Ohio State team, looking at all considerations, ended up being the team most deserving. Now the question is, if it had been an eight-team playoff, would the would the situation have been different? Is that the direction that college football needs to go? That's an interesting question. Um, you're going to have people people say, you know, eight teams is too much. Do you give the you know the top two teams a bye? Do you where do you play the team? I think they should go to eight. I don't think they will, but in my opinion, I think they should. You know, the bowl system. Uh, over the next 12 years, which is uh, the playoff system over the next 12 years, which is the, what they signed the contract for, is worth $7 billion over 12 years for TV rights and gate revenue and everything like that. Can you imagine if they put it to eight teams? That thing would be worth $12 billion with all the gate revenue and the TV mainstream media. Uh, you look at the top eight teams uh, the, this year, and obviously this is the first year. It's going to be different year to year. The top eight teams all had zero, one, or two losses. Now, on paper, you go, well, this two-loss team shouldn't be in. Let's just make it the top six. Whatever. It should be the top eight. Michigan State, Mississippi State, TCU, and Baylor. Those are the teams that were left out. All of them have arguments, and I'm not saying strong arguments, but they all have arguments that they're one of the top, they are the top team in college football. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to they're not, in my opinion, going to go to eight. But what do you think? I mean, do you think they should stick at four? I do, yeah. I just I, I think when the 12 years is up, they may say, well, we could definitely. And it's all going to, it's really just all going to depend on 
what the the track that college football is on at the time. If it's a sport that's on the rise, they very well might say, "Listen, we got to bang our buck right now." You know, we have yeah. to put we have to put a couple more games out there so we could get a couple more uh you know, bowls and we could get a couple more sponsorships and we could generate more ticket revenue and more ad sales and more this, that, and the other thing. So I could definitely see a a situation occurring where they might say from a fiscal perspective, yeah, we should absolutely look at expanding. I just don't like the idea that you'd move to eight. You're always going to have some reason some other team should have been in it. You could go to eight, it's going to be like that. You could go to 16, it's going to be like that. Uh, I, I initially wished it would have been eight just so that TCU would have gotten in. Yeah. But after it was all said and done, I just feel like this was the better route for them to go. So right now we have to look to our next episode, and we're going to start to focus on the 2015 season which we're obviously very excited about here at College Football Pros. And before we sign off with this episode, what are, what's your, what does your top 10 list look like right now? We could talk a little bit in further yeah. detail next episode. All right, real fast, my top 10. Number one, Ohio State, no question. Number two, TCU, uh, a lot coming back. Uh, number three is Oregon. They have a lot coming back and a lot of interesting incoming pieces. Number four is Auburn. They have to get better, right? Uh, obviously, number five is Florida State. Uh, that's it's a preseason top top pick, but we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Number six is Alabama. Um, they still are a good team. They still have a lot of talent. They have a great coach. Uh, seven, I put Baylor. Um, they have a high potent offense and in a league that they can definitely win. Uh, number eight is a, is is a team that I'm not seeing a lot of hype for, but that's USC. I think. Coming off the of probation, I think they're they're ready to go. Uh, number nine is Michigan State with that defense, with their coaching staff, their players. They should be there. And number ten is is an interesting pick with uh, Arizona State. I think they can be a uh, sleeper top ten team. Yeah, I think I'm surprised we matched thirty percent of those in the exact wow. same space. I think we did have a lot more of them. Mine sits at Ohio State, TCU, USC at three. LSU at four, Stanford at five, Michigan State at six, Baylor at seven, Clemson at eight, Alabama at nine, and Texas A&M at ten. I think we're going to have a good next episode, my friend. Yeah, I think the discussion (laughs) behind this is going to be a very good one, and uh, we look forward to bringing it to you. So we will wrap it up for today. For Drew, this is Nick at College Football Pros. Feel free to check us out at www.cfbpros.com, collegefootballpros.com. On Facebook, find us, College Football Pros, and at CFB Pros on Twitter. We'll see you next time.